Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. There it is. You feel that beat? Are you ready? Because wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you are one of our geeks who speak, excited to use your voice and make it heard this November as you vote. We're with you. We're going to be there helping you out getting you to the polls, motivating you with gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week, Brooklinen, Blue Apron, and Cashfly. They're bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show all about games and their many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Canada. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I'm usually joined by my co-host, Christian Spicer, but he, this week, is off traveling with his family. So we have, well, let me just tell you, DLC usually stands for your downloadable Canada and your downloadable Christian, but this week, DLC stands for Don't Lack for Christian, because we have two, count them, two awesome guests filling in. First of all, you know him, you love him. He's been on the show more times than anybody else, I think. And uh, one of our favorite guests from GameRant.com, Anthony Taormina, is back with us. Hey, Anthony. Hi, Jeff. I am in the uh, more than five timers club. Where's my jacket? Oh, yeah. Where's my jacket? Uh, it's, it's in the mail. And uh, if it doesn't arrive, just keep waiting. That's rude. That's rude. <laughs> uh, I'm so pleased to have you here. I'm excited to talk with you about all the stuff that's going on. And I'm also excited for our guest, DLC also this week stands for a developer living in Chicago because we have a designer and animator as well as senior UI artist at NetherRealm Studios as well as soon to be published board game designer. We're going to talk all about that. I'm very excited. Danish Syed is here. Hey, Danish. Hey, man. This is awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, I listen every week. You know, let me just say, I find the show to be delightful, lively, and compelling. But sometimes I don't (laughs) like your conclusions. I would just disagree loudly in my car. But now that I have a direct live communication, I'm excited to discuss, learn, and converse. That was epic. Uh, That was epic. I did literally nothing else today. That was was the whole day. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it. Uh, and Anthony, you've never once tried to do a DLC on arriving, so um, nope, already definitely not. Points. Yep. Uh, <laughs> basically, you say, "Hey, you want to do a podcast?" And I go, "Yeah." <laughs> well, we we can already tell the level of commitment from our two guests, but uh, also you should be you should note the level of commitment from Christian because not only is he on vacation with his family traveling, he also sent in recordings because he couldn't stand, especially this week when so much of the news 
uh, is confirming things that he's been been predicting and wanting to have happen for a long time. He sent in some audio uh, of. Oh, wait, of, we have to listen to Christian's audio no, clips. You're going to edit. You them don't in. have. Thank yeah, you. I'll edit Thank them in. You don't have you. to Thank listen to them. Yeah, no, we, I'll just put them in. In fact, I'm not even going to listen to them. I'll just you know cut <laughs> and paste. Put them in raw. <laughs> Yeah. No, uh, it's awesome that he did that. So you guys will still get some Christian. Uh, but let's start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit. That is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Com. I encourage people to check that out. It's cool folks, cool community. Uh, Danish, as our guest, uh, you get first pick of stories, some juicy stuff this week. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, I think that I might go with Star Citizen because it's just sort of a saga that's just ever unfolding. Um, that, that, <laughs> yeah, that that I mean, the, I think we can lump these two together. The sort of the, the whole facial recognition thing. And uh, that crazy trailer with all those amazing actors in it, it's just mind-blowing. Yeah, you're referring, of course, to CitizenCon, which uh, was the Star Citizen convention that happened this weekend. and Or I guess it was earlier in the week. Uh, whatever the case, they debuted footage from Star Citizen Alpha 3.3. Which, of course, you know in the title, and you know if you've been following Star Citizen, Alpha means it's not done. It's not out. This is a convention for a game that isn't even released, uh, which is, I think, quite a, quite a unique situation in and of itself. But, of course, if you've been following video games at all for the last, I don't know, five years, uh, Star Citizen has been a major story, as you were referencing, Danish. It is... Uh, it is a unique thing. This this crowd-funded, crowd-supported, uh, massively ambitious space opera saga that is different components. And yeah, we saw a bunch of new features. We saw an hour of gameplay of the new uh, release that will be hitting very soon for the people that have supported the game. Uh, and this game looks, I mean, it continues to amaze me visually uh, and just level of ambition. Of course, it's come under a lot of criticism because they keep adding these crazy new features without actually releasing anything, without actually finishing a game that people can play. And one of the craziest new features is the one you referenced, Danish, this uh, facial recognition uh, module, I guess, where they, if you have a webcam enabled and you're playing that game, you can actually map your facial expression and your lip syncing to what you say through your microphone. So if you're, you know, you're role-playing a character and you say something and then make a face, your in-game avatar will make the same it's face. It's basically Animoji. It's basically Animoji in a game. Yeah. Yeah. Live all the time with your with your character, which it, it seems like as soon as we saw Animoji, it seemed like, well, it was only a matter of time before somebody does that, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so again, uh, one of those features that's like, well, that seems like a roadmap for down the line, not before the game's done. But... Uh, I think kind of cool. And then they showed a lot of stuff there. I mean, uh, this game is sprawling and insane and huge. Uh, it's feature creep the game. I mean, that's what it is. Right. It's, it's, it's yeah. never going to, it's yeah. And it's basically every game, every genre almost is now representative. It's got an FPS. It's got, you know, a sim, a space sim. It's got everything. Yeah. This massive open world. Uh, Does it have a battle royale? I'm well, sure that's coming, oh, right? It's got to. Um, 
Dennis, you are a developer. You work at Nether Realms. How do you feel about that? I mean, I'm sure every developer's wildest dream would be to just keep working on something forever and then keep funding it. Uh, never have to ship anything; just keep adding stuff. But I mean, what do you think about that? That's that's exactly right. Like it's this is the uh, another. I'm going to use another analogy. This is the Avatar two of video games. This is like <laughs> um, I mean, okay. Imagine you've been given a blank check to make whatever you want, the most ambitious designs that you can possibly come up with, without any restriction of scope or budget like it, yeah. it's it's gonna lead to something i mean maybe the game will never come out maybe it'll just be this constant you know uh releasing of betas and modes and features but even if that's all we get i think it's amazing that this thing even exists well to prove your point uh the trailer for the i guess single player uh, story-based portion, which is actually now its own standalone product called Squadron 42. They released a new trailer for that. And yeah, it's like somebody said, hey, you're making a sci-fi video game. What's your like wildest wish list for the actors that you would want? It's like, oh, I'd want everybody from every big genre franchise film ever made. And like, oh, okay, well, how about Mark Hamill and uh, John Rhys-Davies and Andy Serkis and Ben Mendelsohn and... Gary Goldman and Mark Strong and Henry Cavill. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just keep spending all the money to get those people. And they're all in it. And it just looks bonkers, right? Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, Anthony, what did you you make of all this? Jeff, you know, I have no interest in Star Citizen, but it looks cool for the people that are totally into uh, the game. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, Oh, I'm never going to play this. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm never <laughs> really? going to play this game. I have no interest in this game. I don't want to be that guy. Like, don't, don't like, I'm not judging it and saying it's bad. It's just clearly not for me from announcement to, you know, gameplay footage to talking about features. Never going to happen. Just because you're not into space sims? I, yeah. Just, just nothing about it. Um, I've never been, I don't know. That's never really been my, my genre. I know tons of people love it and, and they, they got some, especially Mark Hamill. They got some people involved in, in all facets of the game from the creatives to the talent that I'm sure are going to make people very, very happy, but yeah, I don't, it not for me. For me, it's the opposite. It's like, um, I actually am really interested in the space sim and everything, but it's too daunting. It's too big. I kind of am scared to jump in even. Yeah, it certainly does look big. Uh, I watched that hour that they showed of live gameplay. And I mean, there's a part where like there's a whole public transit system in the city and you get you have to wait for the train. Like it's all procedural. So nothing, uh, nothing scripted. It's all based on systems that exist in the game. So in this demo, they missed the train. Uh, they were like, we're going to show you the cool train that we put in the game. And they missed it. And they're like, oh, okay, well, the next one doesn't arrive for a minute. So they like sat there and <laughs> waited in the train station the next, for a minute. The, the next module is going to be uh, the train builder where you actually can be the conductor <laughs> and, you know, set all right. the train lines. Yeah, that's the next module coming. But it's, I mean, it's it's insane. And then they get on the train and it is it fully, it, does, it there's no cheating. Like the game, the train doesn't, isn't a load screen. It's literally a train that moves you from one massive part of the city to another massive part of the city. And you look out the window as you go and they're like, yeah, no, this is none of this is faked. It's like, this is exactly the size and scale of the, of the world. And it just boggles the mind. It, it really is exactly what you guys are saying. Somebody was let loose and said, Hey, what if you had all the money 
and the money pit was bottomless, what video game would you make? And they're like, oh, well, we would make this. And I, for that alone, I want to play. Like I, I, I understand that there might be no ever finishing of this and it may for that part of it, for that factor may be ultimately very dissatisfying as an experience. But I, I also hope that there's something at some point that I can just pay 60 bucks well, and play and well, my, enjoy. Well, my other concern for the people that are interested is outside of what is considered the single player portion, like how many people do actively need to be able to play this game for you to truly understand like its appeal, you know, like Mm. will it be the type of game that at launch everybody is checking out and they're like, Oh, this is kind of neat. But somebody that jumps in in a month is like, well, I I'm, I'm not, I'm not seeing any of the magic here. And, and it just kind of like, you know, uh, dies down because the people that are really invested in the game are kind of all just playing together. They're like making their own, whatever you want, like making their own fun out of this giant game. And anybody that's new that comes into it is just like, I don't know what to do. I don't see anybody. I don't see anything to do. Okay, cool. Bye. Well, it, it seems pretty clear that from their perspective, who cares, right? They have their audience. Like that audience is, but that audience them is supporting, supporting them. them. Like I, and some of them are paying the bulk of the money. I don't know. I feel, I, yeah. I, well, I just feel like they're in order for it to be like actually exciting to, to me or maybe to, uh, you know, the average gamer, there needs to be a little more. I mean, if they don't, if they have no interest in, in, in getting somebody like me interested in the game, that's fine. But I feel like, that should shouldn't that be the goal is to make a game that other people want to play besides the people that don't you think that's what that new trailer is kind of supposed to do like it's a standalone product mm-hmm. you know that's yeah. that takes the edge off a lot of the kind of like uh, you know hesitation to jump in and stuff and that i like those actors the sci-fi story looks cool it's it's more narrative driven and i could just yeah, look no, at the I, I agree with you on, on that part but that seems to be like their thing of like okay this isn't really what we really wanted to make we're like kind of pulling it off of star citizen and this is going right. to be the thing for the single player people but like but what if you loved it and that pulled you into the main mainline game yeah i guess that could I be the know. gateway drug i've yeah. seen a lot of the like little i don't remember what they were called where, where the little like things that they released where it was like i think there were modules or maybe there was something else where it was like here's this piece of the game and here's this piece of the game and just watching it, it seems very dependent on like other people being around and, and being able to interact with those people and games. Well, that- one of the, one of the big things that they showed at, at this convention was how much uh, they've added to the NPCs. Like yeah, they're filling true. out the world with, with NPCs and AI and they were kind of teasing a lot of that. So maybe not just true. That's fair. Yeah. And I totally think that's an excellent point, Danish about the, the gateway drug being this flashy star studded single player thing. And they even mentioned in the, in the presentation, like, Oh, that's as they were going around the big open world version of the game, like, Oh, that's the ship that plays a big role in squadron 42. And it's like the shared world. And I don't know. I, I, I've been skeptical of this for a long time. I think all of us have because it's such an odd journey and continues to, but it seems to be closer and closer to something that looks really impressive. And if they actually ever ship anything or have something that is, you know, consumer facing instead of in their little insular world of their supporters, it, 
it could be something special. Yeah. I don't know. I'm super looking forward to what comes up. Yeah. yeah. Makes up what it comes up. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, any prediction as to how long until this thing is like, there's no, as you said, there's no incentive for them to finish it. It's crazy. Crazy. It's never coming out. Um, you think it's, it's never, never coming, coming out? out? What's the over under on avatar two versus star citizen, <laughs> which yeah. it's first avatar two. Avatar two hits well, I, I certainly hope avatar two comes out. Uh, relatively soon i think this will come out before avatar 2 though uh i do because it looks like it's close i don't know i'm I'm pollyanna (laughs) i guess uh anthony what is your story of the week uh so my story of the week is more a kind of i like to go off book as you know uh it's more of a kind of like the grander reveal of what really is fallout 76 via all these previews and and hands-on stuff mm-hmm. i did not have a chance but i, I you know i consumed as much uh of it as i could and it seems like uh not my type of game <laughs> well that's a theme this week <laughs> yeah that's a theme but yeah um I, it seems very 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 heavily put towards that survival element uh yeah yeah so we got we got a lot of very interesting to to kind of like finally understand like here's what you do here's not like the bethesda prepackaged trailer like here's people saying here's what i did for five hours yeah and and i think that uh it was never going to be uh a next role-playing game from bethesda right just by the very nature of the situation of what you you know you're out there you're trying to fight against other people and you're trying to win these areas and destroy other i mean it really is a it's almost a battle royale but persistent kind of yeah 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 it's like you you know instead of dropping in over and over and getting stuff you drop in once you get stuff and you keep getting stuff <laughs> you know yeah it it just seems it seems like i don't know in talking to people that were very excited to the game it almost seemed like they were just kind of holding out hope that it was going to be fallout 4.5 if it could be, and then these kind of previews came out and there were a lot of, uh, you know, commenters and, and people that were reading those previews saying, Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, this sounds like it might be neat, but I don't know. It just, it seems very odd to me. A lot of what the, like just reading about like, Oh, I had to manage my, my food and my rads and my sleep. And it was like, Oh no, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, no, people no, are no. into that stuff, you know. Um, I know people yeah. are into that, but it's just survival uh, evolved. All those games are really big, and you add in, you know, the the sort of uh, FPS. Is this what it? you would have thought if somebody said, "Hey, we're making a multiplayer Fallout game," and then you're like, "Well, no, no." But I, I you know, I what I would have wanted out of a multiplayer Fallout game is this sort of shared world MMO. But that's not what they made, yeah. you know. And I, but I don't think that they presented it like a big shared world MMO. It definitely seemed like it was going to be this more competitive thing. To be quite honest with you, I forgot this game was coming out this year until those previews hit. And I was like, oh yeah, we have another huge release this year. So I had my eyes fully set on Red Dead. There's a beta soon, so we'll all be able to play it. But yeah, it's it's definitely uh, not gotten the attention that you would expect of a Bethesda game releasing any year. Yeah. Uh, Dennis, what did you, have you paid attention to this game? Is this something that's uh, you're excited for? Uh, what was your take on? Uh, yeah, I think it's really. I think it's interesting. It's not exactly my kind of game, but um, it's. I like that they're branching out to doing and doing something different. I, I could see this thing taking on its own kind of a life of its own, almost like uh, 
uh, what Tom Clancy, what was what, the race? Oh, Rainbow Six Siege. Something yeah. that's like really fostered this small, very dedicated community. I can see that happening with a game like this. And it also just, um, yeah, just trying different things. Like maybe this thing doesn't work and they'll go on to something else. Like Fallout Shelter is actually a great example of that. They just tried this little thing and like people loved it. And you could almost think of it in terms of like, this is Fallout Shelter, the AAA game or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's actually a pretty astute observation. It it does feel a little more experimental from them, and um, it it also feels like a stopgap for not having a huge, yes, you know, Bethesda Studios game. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I'm st- I definitely have not felt that crazy anticipation like I usually do for Bethesda games. Um, but then again, I'm not you know I'm not huge into FPS multiplayer games, so. We'll see. I, I'm, I'm excited to give it a shot and see if it if it hooks me. But uh, I, I kind of feel feel what you're saying, Anthony. I definitely feel that it's 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 a weird IP to do this with because yes. it comes with a lot of baggage of expectation, and I think it might. Yeah, not it, it kind of felt that. like read the room. Maybe Fallout <laughs> Four wasn't wasn't your best. Uh, choice maybe you know wait until the next game and like put that in as like this is a part of the game but yeah it at least for me personally i was not a big fan of fallout 4 so saying oh well it's basically fallout 4 but it's got its own kind of uh rules and mechanics and stuff but it's still basically fallout 4 nah, i'm okay i think there's a distinction yeah. to be made though of like what the world uh, can sustain in terms of games and also what fans kind of want as their next Fallout game. Because I agree in that way that this is not what they really wanted, but I do think the kind of world does fit pretty well with this kind of type of game. Well, well yeah, yeah, I agree with that, yeah. Yeah, I, yes, I agree as well. Um, my story of the week is is one you may have guessed that I would have been pretty excited about, and that is uh, Borderlands 2 is coming to PSVR this year in December, Borderlands 2, of course, uh, not the most recent game. Everybody's hoping for a new Borderlands. We thought it might come at this year, this last year's uh, E3. I'm guessing next year's E3 will be the big coming out party for Borderlands, what, four? Are we at four now? Um, no, be three. 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 It'd be three. You're right. Or Border Worlds. Border Worlds. Yeah. I like that. I like Border Worlds. Um, I gotta say, I'm pretty excited to try Borderlands 2 in VR. I, as of right now, it is only coming to PS VR. I certainly hope that we get a proper PC version on Oculus and or uh, Vive. But uh, I will take what I can get in PS VR. Uh, the other big bummer is that it doesn't seem to be supporting the AIM controller, which feels like a huge missed opportunity because what better game to support AIM than this one where you're constantly getting cool new rifles and weapons of of all kinds to actually have that cool rifle uh, controller. But as of now, it looks like that is not happening. Um, But on the positive side, it's Borderlands 2 in VR. Another of the big features that people love about Borderlands, the multiplayer, the co-op multiplayer feature. This is a single-player only experience, but they've revamped all the movement to be friendlier to VR. They've revamped all of the way you control and and select things in the menus. I'm really excited to try it, and I think that PSVR has a stellar holiday lineup between Astrobots and this and uh, uh, Tetris Effect. Uh, I think it's a, a pretty strong argument for psvr this this holiday season beat samers coming out um, too what was that 
I said Beat Saber is also coming out on PSVR yeah. this. Right. Yeah. Yes. A killer app if there ever was yeah. one. Beat Saber for sure. Um, what do you think about this, Danish? Uh, Borderlands 2 and VR. Good, good idea? I think, yeah, totally. And I, this is going to be maybe what gets me into Borderlands because I, up to this point, wasn't really a fan. Uh, I, I played the first one and didn't really hook me. Um, maybe the second one I skipped, but uh, maybe it was good. But yeah, this is a perfect excuse to get back into it, giving it a shot. I, it is a little weird about the no co-op thing, though, because uh, that's, um, yeah, that seems like kind of a big part of Borderlands. I, that, I would argue that's the identity of yeah. Borderlands is is this cooperative experience, seamless cooperative experience. So, yeah, it, it is an odd – and it doesn't seem to be prohibitive. There are plenty of VR games where you can do co-op and uh, plenty of first-person shooters that I've played that you can do co-op. So I don't know why – I mean, I, I don't know if they had a difficulty making that work or, or what that's about. And it's a bit of a bummer, to be frank, yeah. but um, I still think the game – you know, I think the game will be cool. I, I think that cell shaded look that is synonymous with Borderlands will be really cool in VR, and I'm I'm excited to give it a shot. Uh, Anthony, are you a little less than enthused? I suspect. Oh man, Jeff, why you gotta paint me in that corner? <laughs> I mean, it. I mean, feel free to paint yourself out, I, but I doubt you will. I, I like Borderlands too. I think Borderlands two improves upon the first one and is the best Borderlands experience. I, I mean, there's only three and one of them is actually kind of bad, but yeah, border <laughs> borderlands two is, is great. Whether or not that will work in VR, it, it's, I don't know. It's, it's a very fast paced game. It has a potential of like crazy movement options. And, and I'm concerned about, uh, you know, getting nauseous. I'm concerned about, you know, them being able to transition that over to a VR space I don't need to play Borderlands 2 in VR. I I sunk a lot of time into it. I, I'd check it out just to see what it looks like, but it's not something that I personally would play through again. But I know that there are people that, you know, are looking for a reason to use their PlayStation VR. And I think if you've never played Borderlands 2, might as well give it a try. Yeah, I think I think it could be really a, a cool uh experience in in vr i i just am really bummed that they're not supporting aim that that to me is the major knock uh but hopefully they can patch that in maybe there'll be enough people asking for that but man the uh you know the move controller is not ideal and i guess it's supporting dual shock but also not ideal well yeah because there i want to say borderlands 2 introduced like you could hold two different weapons so it might just be not possible Maybe maybe that is what it is. Yeah, I I don't know what the what the decision is behind that, but I I'm pretty sure it had like you could hold two weapons. Maybe not, but I think so. Yeah, maybe that is what it is. But they're you know they're certainly not shy with moving stuff around. They're adding this BAMF mode where you can go into slow motion and you know obviously taking out co-op. So I I, I, don't know. I think it would have been worth it, from my opinion. It, that's that's what separates PSVR right now from the, the PC stuff is having this cool rifle controller that seems to work for uh, work really well. Um, but uh, too few games support it, in my opinion. All right. Uh, we do have Christian's story of the week. So let's hear what he has to say. Hey, Jeff. So my story of the week is Microsoft's X cloud or little X big C loud. Um, at this rate, I fully expect Amazon or Sony or someone else to announce their cloud streaming service come Monday, right after this episode goes live. But I think this is really exciting, especially after Project Stream and how well that worked. And you were able to go hands-on with that as well. 
and it's really incredible. And I think Microsoft, um, I have all the faith in this thing working really well. And what I think differentiates it from Google's thing is the idea that Microsoft has this back catalog um, of games that they can add to the service immediately. I think that third-party games will probably go on everything. And of course, uh, Google will look to have exclusive games on their platform as well, based on the talent they've brought in and the people that they have working on that project. But if Microsoft is able to launch it, as they kind of announced in their um, announcement video that like they implied that every Xbox game or Xbox One game is ready to work on the service immediately and they can have touch controls. Not that that's the ideal way to play it, but the fact that it's able to have it just happen. You don't need to do anything special. This is all happening on Microsoft's end of things. I think is really incredible and could really be a difference maker for that service compared to, you know, something new and coming up. So if that thing launched with Halo and Forza and every game on it, it's really, really incredible. I'm curious to hear what you all think about it, but that is definitely the story of the week. The streaming future is here, or in Microsoft's case, coming in 2019, but that has to be the biggest story this week. Well, we didn't hear it, but <laughs> Christian uh, predictably uh, went gaga for yet another streaming service that was announced uh, on Monday. Again, right after our episode comes out last week, right after our episode came out or the week before, I should say, right after our episode came out, uh, Google announced their project stream, which we talked about last week, about a week late. And now here we are a week late talking about Microsoft's project X cloud, which they announced right after our episode dropped on Monday. Uh, Christian has been shouting from the rooftops for years now that the future is streaming. He's been asking for the Netflix of video games for a long time. I've been a little more skeptical. I like my pixels. I like my powerhouse processors, uh, pushing all of the, video I can get locally, but these companies seem to have figured out ways to, to make the difference between those things relatively minor. And Microsoft's Project X Cloud uh, seems to be coming soon. Beta test scheduled in 2019. Their goal, uh, stated goal, is not to replace the console. Uh, they say they like consoles and they like console gamers. It's to open up gaming of console quality games, of AAA quality games, to a whole group of people that would never have played console games and make it accessible on phones, on tablets, on things, devices you may already have. Uh, and so open up the audience even further. Danish, what do you think about this? Uh, is the future streaming? I mean, it seems that way now. It seems like everyone's really making a, a good push for it. Uh, I think it's going to be, it's going to be really exciting and interesting to see what happens. This, at this moment in time, it really does seem like it is the future Maybe something happens and it kind of all crashes, but I don't know. I, I think it's pretty promising, everything I've seen and read. I tried to get into the Google one. I'm still waiting on my key, but I can't wait to try it. It's interesting what you say about how Microsoft is courting this new audience. Uh, it actually kind of reminds me of like Nintendo and the Wii back in 2008. Like They went for a, a demographic that didn't play video games by using this controller and the waggle and all that. And it seems like in a different way, Microsoft is trying to get a new demographic from almost a tech side where it's like maybe they would play video games, but they don't have a system or they don't have, you know, they don't want to drop money on an Xbox one or PS4. So, or the fact, or maybe they already are playing video games, but those games are like candy crush and clash exactly. of clans. And they, 
because that's what they can play right now. That's they have the device that plays those, and those are the hardest core games that you can get, you know, and yeah. from a certain perspective. And that if if the the game instead of having them come to the games, if the games came to them, maybe they would be playing much more sophisticated. I don't know if sophisticated is even the right word, but more you know what we consider to be traditional AAA console type games. I think that's a laudable goal, quite frankly, and uh, I'm always open to having the the hobby expand to more people. Uh, I I did have a chance to try uh, Google's streaming service this week. In fact, Christian got into the beta and he mentioned it last week. Talked about his experience playing it. He was all excited. He he uh, we are working together, and so he had me log into his account on my Chromebook, my crappy little Chromebook that I bring into work that basically just to surf the web and, you know, send emails. Uh, and I was skeptical that my little Chromebook that has a hard time, even just surfing some websites would be able to play Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And I was wrong. I couldn't believe it. Uh, we got it to work. It booted basically instantaneously. The visuals are very impressive for a <laughs> crappy little Chromebook. Uh, and you know, it, it's, it's 1080p. It's not gonna, it's not gonna compete with my Xbox one X for visual fidelity, but frame rate is pretty darn stable. It's very playable. Um, you know, and, and it, it just, it starts instantaneously. You click the link, it loads up. It starts like a Netflix movie. It has a m- moment of loading, like you would starting a Netflix movie. And then you're in and you're playing the game. And it is exactly what I've experienced on my Xbox one X, save for the fact that it is, uh, it is, you know, quite a little bit lower in fidelity. And also I should mention a friend uh, pointed out that it is uh, mono audio. So, uh, you're not even getting stereo audio at this point through the Google mm-hmm. solution, which is a bit disappointing to be honest, but, um, still the fact that this, like, I don't know, I don't know how much my Chromebook was. I think it was just like a couple hundred bucks. It was, I mean, it's a really simple little machine meant to just answer email basically. And I was playing a huge AAA game on it. I, I couldn't believe it. Do you think that the convenience is going to trump quality? Like how it's done for movies? It's certainly, like you said, certainly has for movies. Um, I, I think convenience has seems to be the king in a lot of marketplaces right now. So I have a hard time betting against convenience, but I still love the highest fidelity I can get. I still love the big processor pushing the cool thing in HDR. I mean, you're not going to get HDR and some of the whiz bang, you're not going to get great audio evidently. Um, but maybe those hurdles will be, will be breached as well. I mean, you can get HDR on Netflix now, I think. So, um, who knows? The way I handle my movie collection is I, I actually I have a 4K Blu-ray player and I do buy physical 4K Blu-ray discs like, you know, Blade Runner, like the ones that I just really love visually are amazing. But then I stream everything else. So I think it could be the same thing for streaming games. It's like you have a few choice games that you're looking forward to that you want to play in the highest fidelity and then everything else. Maybe you don't care as much. And those are the ones you play streaming. Yeah, I think that's it could very well be. Uh, Anthony, we talked about this a lot at E3 because that was all the the hullabaloo around Microsoft's announcement, hinting yeah. at what they were doing here. Um, and I, you know, the same questions that we had then persist. I.e., what's the price structure? How does this all work out? And we still don't know any of that. So, yeah, what do you I, think? I, I I think the one thing that I am concerned about is I think we're going to hear a lot more about this. You know, kind of where. Uh, streaming games this concept it's not 
anything new. We had it kind of like rise up before with on live and, and services like that. But this seems to be like a lot more uh, structurally sound because it's coming from a bit more structurally sound companies. But I'm still concerned that like as this push is happening, we're kind of uh, losing control of the Internet. Um, <laughs> and so like, you know, bandwidth caps and things like that and throttling are, are a more realistic like problem if we can't, you know, fix all of what's going on. So, yeah, I like I got the 4K Netflix streaming service. Like I upgraded to 4K when I got an Xbox One X and then I started looking at my bandwidth usage every time I was watching a Netflix show and realized, "Oh, this doesn't seem like I, I it's worth doing." So, yeah, I'm I would need to know like how much it uses, how, you know, like that type of stuff, but it's 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 certainly like the perfect solution for people like Christian who are always out and about who, you know, might not have access to the TV who are just, you know, or people that live in LA in general and get, get everywhere, you know, an hour early because (laughs) of traffic. But yeah, I I think it's, it's has a lot of potential, but I'm concerned that it's just like, Oh, we, we are trying to pioneer this service, but we're not thinking about feasibility basically. Hmm. It's kind of a chicken, like a chicken and egg situation. I mean, if, if, you really, you know, put every all your eggs in one basket and try to make it work, then you will have to, by necessity, solve those other problems. Hopefully, mm. I mean, I, yeah, I hope so. It, it it came up a lot when it was like, you know, uh, we're we're thinking about going all digital for games, or like we're considering that, and there were so many people that were like, no, 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 no. Uh, yeah. It would take me five days to download this game, and games are only getting bigger. So yeah, it's I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how. Uh, everything evolves alongside this service and, and whether or not it's actually uh, feasible for somebody who maybe doesn't have the greatest mobile internet quality or has a cap. Yeah. Well, I think if I w- if it was just Google doing this, I'd be a little more skeptical because Google, let's be honest, has, has been a little flaky with some of the things that they put their, you know, put their name on. And then all of a sudden, few years later, they're like, eh, we're not doing that anymore. Eh, out. Oh yeah, we're going to do Google Fiber. Nah, not anymore. Eh, well, it's fine. We're not going to take over the world with that. Uh, we're going to do Google Voice. Yeah, nah, let's just cancel that. I mean, there's thing after thing after thing, right? So as cool as that, that stream service was, and I've now experienced firsthand it being very impressive, I would have been a little less less than, uh, you know, all in on this, if it was simply Google doing it, uh, but Microsoft who's been in the video game game <laughs> for years now and serious about it and seem to be doing a two pronged approach here, which is not just doing a streaming service, but also continuing to create consoles that people can, uh, you know, play their games locally on. So it, it seems like they've thought this out and they're all in on it. Uh, to the extent that that you know it won't just be a flash in the pan for them, but it also won't be you know uh, to the exclusion of the way we've traditionally experienced games. Maybe this is a half step to you know the full Netflixification of the entire industry, but at least in the in the generation coming up, it seems to me like we're going to have both happening. Yeah, can I say poor on live man? Those guys. I know, right? Just yeah. too soon, too soon, yeah, too man. Soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's always that thing, right? There's always the MySpace, right? There's always yeah. the uh, the net, the uh, Netscape, you know. There's always just one one too soon. I love Netscape. That was I was a Netscape guy. 
Yeah. First to have yeah. tabs. Come on. Right. Yeah. First I'll do a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, let's move on now. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. We got some great games. Talk about that Call of Duty. We got an awesome tabletop time segment I can't wait for. But first, let me thank our first sponsor, which is Brooklinen. Uh, if you're excited to hear about more video game stuff uh, and, you you know, you've got the holidays coming up. We got big releases. We got Fallout 76. We got Red Dead. A few more sleeps until those happens. Why not make those sleeps the best they can be? I love my Brooklyn. And I, I all joking aside, uh, as a father of two young children, sleep has become the most important thing to me. I have value it. It is not an exaggeration to say uh, that that sleep is... I never understood how important it was until now. And I am so pleased that I have Brook linen sheets to crawl into mercifully at the end of a night of uh, waking up to screaming children, because I feel so good crawling into my Brooklyn and sheets. I honestly, the best sheets I've ever had hands down. And I'm not alone. Uh, Brooklyn and sheets were named the winner of the best online betting category by good housekeeping. They had rave reviews in business insider, uh, these, you know, lots of people are, are into Brooklyn and sheets, not just me, but man, I love mine. These are luxury sheets without the luxury markup. So most bedding is marked up as much as 300% when you see it in stores because they have to deal with stores. Brooklyn and doesn't have to worry about that stuff. They go directly to you on the internet. So they cut out all that markup. You get that high quality. So just luxurious feeling sheets, the high thread count without having to pay that cr- crazy markup price. And even better, uh, we have a, an offer for you. This is an exclusive os- offer just for DLC listeners. You get $20 off and free shipping when you use the promo code DLC at brooklinen.com. Brooklinen is so sure that you'll love your new sheets that they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and not only that, a lifetime warranty on all their sheets and comforters. The only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use promo code DLC at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and promo code DLC. Brooklinen. These really are the best sheets ever. Time to talk about the games we have been playing. Uh, I know that Christian has a, a little bit to talk about uh, Mega Man 11, but Danish, you've also been playing Mega Man 11. Let's start there. Oh yeah. What do you think of it? Are you are you a big Mega Man nut? People who the people who like Mega Man don't just like Mega Man. They're like nuts for Mega Man. <laughs> that right? Is accurate. I am. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm a huge Mega Man fan. Ever since I was a kid. I mean, playing Mega Man One when I was six years old and, and Mega Man Two. Yeah, really, really influential. Just absolutely love them. Um, the last one I played was Mega Man 9 for PS3, which was the throwback one where they made it look like an NES game and everything. I skipped mm-hmm. 10 because it was kind of like another throwback. I didn't want to do that one. But yeah, 11 is bright, colorful, looks great, controls great. Um, I'm really enjoying it. I think it's a really nice balance of the new and familiar. Um, the tricky thing with this game is that there are a lot of platformers, amazing platformers that are out right now. Like, Celeste and you know Hollow Knight and things, and so I don't know. It may be slightly more antiquated compared to those if you compare them side by side, but it's true to Mega Man, and it is updated with these cool new like you know 
systems and moves you can do. So I'm really, really digging it. Um, one more thing I, that's actually really interesting is the difficulty. So mm. you start out and it's, I think, easy, casual, normal, and hard. And normal says something like, you know, for true Mega Man fans who want to challenge and stuff. It's like, okay, I'll try normal. Normal is brutal. It's like, it's <laughs> like they mislabeled them. <laughs> so, uh, or is it that it's just sort of like Mega Man used to be? Is I that is that? I don't think so. You know why I can say that is because uh, I actually have been playing the old ones with the uh, legacy or the anniversary collection or the, the Mega Man Legacy collection, whatever those are called. Um, so I was actually just playing Mega Man, you know, one and two, like a few weeks ago. So I actually have a, a pretty decent comparison, and this is way harder than that. Wow. Um, yeah, and uh, but it's the same. It's like so, you die, you start at the beginning of the level. You know, you take a lot of hits. You you, know, you, don't, you can't take a lot of hits. The enemies are difficult. Um, but I'm still having fun with it. I'm sticking with normal. Uh, it's really hard, but I'm, I am still having fun with it. I did go down to casual just to try it out to see what it was like. And I do think that kind of is the real normal. So if people who mm-hmm. aren't um, into these games don't play a lot of them, I definitely recommend, you know, casual or easy. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Well, I know that Christian had a lot to say about Mega Man 11, so let's hear what he has to say right now. Okay, quickly for a game I've been playing that I know people wanted to hear about, Mega Man 11. I am playing on Nintendo Switch, and I am currently, as of recording this, to send it to you, four bosses in. Uh, I did Block Man, Bounce Man, Fuse Man, and Acid Man, and in that order, I didn't look up how to best take them down. It's just... I don't know how I picked, <laughs> and so far so well. I really like this game. Um, I played the demo, and I wasn't that impressed with it. It felt like a little off. I, I kind of liked it, but I didn't fall in love with it. And my Mega Man background is I know I have finished Mega Man 1, 2, um, 9, and 10, and I believe I've beat Mega Man X. I own it so many different places, and I can recall all parts of it, but I've also watched people stream it and speedrun it. Uh, so I'm not a Mega Man expert, but certainly have played my share of Mega Man games. And after playing the demo, it kind of felt a little off. Something didn't quite click. It didn't feel like the Mega Man games that I know and love. But I had the game pre-ordered. I got it like a, I think it was like a pricing error on Target or something like that. <laughs> but I didn't cancel it. And I'm really glad I didn't, especially after the reviews came out and they were all really positive too. I was really excited for the game. And now having spent you know, a good amount of time with it. I'm what, about halfway through the game, four bosses and one big fight left, I think, uh, until I've completed it. It's awesome. It is a Mega Man game through and through. I think initially the disconnect comes from an old school pixel art Mega Man games. That pixel animation kind of covers or allows for frame counting in a sense where the animation is jilted and slow so you don't feel like Mega Man is maybe moving in quicksand or water or it feels more natural that you can only get three shots out at a time because that was a limitation of the console or when you jump you can't shoot in every particular point on your way up and on your way down because of how it was animated and the limitations. Now with this kind of polygonal 2.5D art it feels a little weird at first that Mega Man's running animation is so fluid and smooth, but he's still moving at about the same pace as he's moved in other games, and it looks like maybe he's in a little bit of water. Or same for when you jump, it's like, why can't I hit this thing that's floating right in this particular point? Uh, Everything looks so smooth and animated, and you expect to be able to kind of shoot wherever you want. But under all of that, it seems like it's very close to the original Mega Man mechanics. And as I spent more time with the game in the full retail build, um, the level design, the boss encounters, learning the patterns, kind of getting that feel back. 
that little bit of a disconnect between the art style and the underpinning of a Mega Man game went away. And some of these levels that I've played already are just absolutely incredible, really fun boss battles. I really like the gear mechanic. I do think it, uh, it adds to so what it, you have two options where you can either slow down time or power up your shots a little bit. And these are on a cooldown timer. And I think they do kind of make the game easier, but they're also really fun and really cool, especially in some of the boss battles that you, you get to, you know, it's like a Max Payne-esque slowing down time and it helps you learn the patterns and play and it looks great. Um, so I really enjoy it. Also, since I'm getting older, I don't mind a Mega Man game perhaps being a little easier as well. But I think if the demo kind of bummed you out, um, but you're a fan of the franchise, I would still give the full game a try. And uh, if you like the Mega Man games, the classic Mega Man games, and are looking for something new, I highly recommend Mega Man 11. Uh, again, having not completed it, but about halfway through it, I'm really enjoying my time with it. And uh, I look to have it completed here pretty soon. But I wanted to call in and let you know about that. Hope you guys are having a great show, and I look forward to hearing it when it comes out. Cool. Uh, Mega Man, not not really a franchise that I ever, I ever loved, I have to be honest. I, I love the nostalgia of it. And of course I played it when I was a kid, but even when I was a kid, I was much more interested in Metroid and Castlevania and some well, of the other the franchises. I mean, yeah. I loved all those. Yeah. I mean, I, a lot of people loved yeah. all those, but for me, for whatever reason, Mega Man lagged behind the other two uh, or a lot of other games. I just, I never got into Mega Man for some reason. You know what it was? I think it was, he jumped and he felt heavy and I just didn't. Oh, it was that. hard. I mean, well, yeah, Castlevania robot, Jeff, was a robot. Yeah, yeah I guess. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, do you remember jumping in Castlevania? Like you couldn't control in the air. It was just like you're locked in. And yeah. That was, that was rough. Oh, you died many, many times because you're like, oh, I regret nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mega Man had the amazing like on the second controller, you hold down on the D-pad and then you can't die in pits and all this cool stuff. Right. right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, so what else is on your playlist, Danish? Um, so uh, playing Forza Horizon 4. Um, totally mm-hmm. loving it. I love the last one. It was so great. I, I echo everything Christian said last week. And I do want to give you a little bit of crap about what you said last week. Um, so <laughs> now I get not every game is for everybody. I know not every genre is for everybody. Um, you're, you're not super into racing games. I'm not super into JRPGs and stuff. But when you say something like, <clears throat> I, I just want to drive fast. And I don't want to hit the brakes. It's like saying, oh, I like Mario, but I don't want to time my jumps or it's like, I love her as the storm, but I don't want to communicate with my team. Like there's certain things that the game asks of you. And, and here's the other thing that, that annoyed me was you have to break in burnout. You can't just not break. I mean, barely, you do barely. <laughs> and, I mean, I get, I, I hear you. I hear that. That is a fair point and a fair criticism. And I, I think I was speaking hyperbolically. No, no, absolutely. I know. Um, but, but another thing is that like all of the extra skill that Forza requires compared to Burnout, I think it mitigates a lot of that with those systems like the rewind and the braking lines, sure. which are you know super intuitive and easy to use. So anyway, yeah, it's it's an amazing game. I think it's super fun and just relaxing. I just drive around and just taking the sights. Uh, I'm not sure how I, I'm liking England so far compared to Australia last game. I'm still not very far, but I loved all the uh, environments last game. And the, I mean, so, so say all the residents of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I think Australia for beauty, pure beauty, uh, maybe maybe beats it was, uh, London every time. When they first announced England, I'm like, huh, okay. 
<laughs> no offense to all the English listeners that we have. I, I, I love uh, visiting England and I have uh, done so several times and I, I just don't think it compares to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> well, even playing it, I actually was like, oh man, I, you know, I kind of underestimated it. This is amazing. Yeah. Like, yeah, all the vistas and the, the seasons, of course, are, are great. So yeah, I'm, I'm digging it. I definitely owe that game a, a fairer shake. And if, if there wasn't an Assassin's Creed Odyssey upset, you know, just completely taking all my time up alongside WoW and all the other things I'm doing it, I would probably actually have given it a, a, a more time, but I'm, I haven't. I'll, I'll accept Odyssey as your excuse. That, that's a fair <laughs> excuse. Uh, Anthony, have you played any Forza Horizon 4? I have. I, I dig it. Um, it's, you know, it's not the type of game that, uh, I'll become obsessed with, but uh, I always check them out, play them for, you know, a, enough time to kind of like get my fill. But I, I think that they're always well, well made. I would probably say that four is probably my favorite of the horizons. I'm not as big a fan of just the, you know, more, uh, simulation, uh, just basic Forza. So I, I like horizon more and I think four is probably my favorite. Yeah, I mean, it's clearly getting rave reviews across the board. Everybody seems to be uh, jumping jumping out of their seat for it. So I'm I'm not saying that I didn't feel that way. I just it's just more the genre itself that is. Uh, I just haven't found my way in yet, and I hope. To. Uh, one more thing I want to say about Forza Horizon is even the, the last one too, the third one. It, amazing introductions to the game, like mm-hmm. the way they start and the way they put you into it, and the just the like the motion graphics, the the VO, the just immediately you're in a race and then it cuts and there's, you know, seasons change and it's just, it's so slick. It just does an amazing job of getting you into it. I totally agree with that. Yeah. I was amazed and there's no loading. It's like, it goes from playing as one car in summer to playing as a different car in fall and it's, in, it's seamless and incredible and it all looks spectacular. So yeah, yeah. They're really you know, working on all cylinders, so to speak. Uh, what else you got on your playlist there, Danish? Uh, so the last thing I want to talk about is uh, something I don't think is getting a lot of talk is uh, Jurassic World Evolution, which mm. is the Jurassic Park Park Builder game. Mm-hmm. Uh, this game is amazing. I, I love this game. Uh, is it a console game or is this like a, a mobile game? Console. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. This is the full console game that they – I don't even know this came out. It's uh, This just, just was just released, right? Uh, a few months ago, maybe a month oh, a few ago, months ago, a month okay. ago, I think, or something like that. Okay. Yeah. So um, it's a park builder. Um, but man, anything that you think that you would want in a Jurassic Park builder is here and done incredibly well. Hmm. So again, just like Forza, like you start the game, great introduction. You're soaring over, you know, the island mountains and you hear Jeff Goldblum start talking to you. And it's just <laughs> so great. <laughs> and uh, it starts introducing to you all these like different mechanics and stuff. And like the way they've adapted it into a park builder is so smart and so like intuitive. So you have, you know, your pens that you release dinosaurs into, but the way you get dinosaurs is by extracting the DNA out of fossils. But where do you get the fossils? So you have to send dig teams to go excavate, uh, excavate the fossils. So you have all these little systems that feed into each other. And then mm-hmm. um, as you're pulling DNA out of the uh, fossils, you, you have a lot of gaps. And so you have to kind of do multiple fossils to piece together. And you can only incubate a dinosaur that has at least 50% of their genome mapped. 
And another thing is like, you can actually fill in gaps with other animals. So it's just like the movie. It's exactly what they did. But what's so brilliant about it is they make a game mechanic out of it where you can uh, buff stats of the dinosaurs. You're like, okay, I splice in a little bit of like, you know, frog DNA and it gives it more health or I splice in mm-hmm. lizard DNA and it makes it more resistant to disease and stuff like that. That's awesome. And then you have um, rangers that you make a ranger station and the rangers go out and you kind of like point and click and say, okay, refill this feeding station or go administer this medicine. And then you can jump into the Jeep and drive it like third person. And it's just so fun. And you can drive around the park and take pictures of the dinosaurs for money and stuff like that. And I'm just having a blast with it. Like, I think um, the only caveat I would say is that I've only put in about three hours of it. And I've maybe it's possible that I've seen everything there is to see and it it may get repetitive, but so far I am super loving it. I think this game is criminally overlooked. So are you only ever making a functioning non-catastrophe ridden park? That is your is goal, there... but dinosaurs <laughs> do escape. And uh, so, okay, good. Yes. And uh, I think that's essential. Oh, for, that's for essential. Point so yeah. one of the buildings you can build is a, uh, you know, emergency bunker <laughs> for eventuality <laughs> like that. And uh, yeah. So when, and when a dinosaur escapes, which has happened to me uh, and starts eating people, um, you, ha- you can uh, send out a helicopter and you can actually pilot the helicopter and go and try to tranquilize oh, wow. it and stuff like that. It's so fun. Um, the first pen I made, I, I didn't really think about it, but I just put in like all sorts of carnivores and herbivores together. And of course, they were eating each other. You know, the carnivores <laughs> were eating the herbivores. So then I tried. Classic to, mistake. Yeah. And then I, then I made a little partition in the gate and I tried to get the carnivore to follow me in so I can close the gate. That's not really what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to have two separate pens with two separate. But anyway, it's just a lot of fun stuff you can do. Um, I, start, I built this giant hotel uh, way earlier than I should have, and I bankrupted my whole park. And then all these, <laughs> all these people like started flooding in because it was filling the hotel to capacity. And then the, like, the paths were flooded, like tons of people. But then I didn't have enough money to do anything else. So then the dinosaurs escaped, and I didn't have enough money to, to build the heli- a new helicopter. and started eating everyone. It was just – it's so much fun. I – thematically amazingly done the um it's on a you know it's a it's a sim on a controller which can be tricky but i think it controls really well so i'm really really loving this game so far that's awesome that is jurassic world evolution and what are you playing it on ps4 ps4 Awesome. That's very cool. Um, Anthony, let's, uh, let's switch over to you. And you and I have both been playing some Black Ops 4, which of course is the, the giant release this week. Um, I, I mean, I had no idea this game was as highly anticipated as it has been. It is just crushing the world. It's, I saw these streamer, all these streamers like ceremoniously uninstalling PUBG from their computers because Black Ops Four was finally here. It just I th- seems. I think, yeah, I think, I think that is a that is one of the like main things that I took away almost instantly is that Call of Duty basically made a triple A more polished PUBG with non, you know, uh, assets with assets that aren't basically like pulled from a store. <laughs> yeah, that aren't crap. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> it, it it just it I it to me see well we're specifically talking about blackout. So yeah, you know the other stuff is uh, I have opinions on those, but yeah, for blackout compared to PUBG, it's it is essentially what what PUBG was, but it does everything PUBG does better, and it does a lot of things that PUBG doesn't do that are actually really smart. 
Well, let's let's back up one second because, as you okay. said, it, it, this is an odd game, and I want to kind of give some lip service to that because it, it, it isn't one game; it's it's three very different games in one package. And yes, I mean very. I mean three completely separate games to the point where it's like it feels like you have to choose a specialization because each one has its own unique progression and never the twain shall meet. And it, it feels like they're wildly different skill sets. Even, I mean, you have the traditional call of duty multiplayer where you're jumping in and doing all the call of duty multiplayer stuff, you know, the maps, you know, and love the loadouts, lots of modes, lots of modes. Yeah. Perks and all the, all the things you, you expect. Uh, And then you've got this blackout mode, which is battle Royale and it has its own, you know, progression system. And then you've got zombies, which is quite frankly, the mode I've, the only mode I really have cared about and have enjoyed uh, and have played, Uh, but it is robust and crazy and its own weird thing to the point where like, it doesn't, it feels like it doesn't even fit in this package. It's its own. It's like, if this was the left for dead sequel, I would believe it. You know, I think, I think that's been true of zombies for a while. Is that the, the uh, expectation has been raised. And and I think it's been up there for a while where zombies needs to deliver X amount of, you know, maps and X amount of like DLC stuff that it, it does. It kind of, it feels like it is like in line with what I would expect zombies to offer basically from here on out. Cause I know that there are a ton of people that zombies is their jam and that's all they care about. And mm. zombies is, is the mode that I care the least about, but I understand that there are a lot of people that love, you know, decoding the Easter eggs and figuring out like, it's kind of like its own, its own like a uh, race more or less when the game gets released and people are starting to figure out like, okay, well, if I do this, this happens. If we do this, yeah. this happens. And they start to like decode it to find out like how to truly get like an ending or get more story. So I think that the zombies mode um, has been robust for a while. And I think this one is on, on par with that. It's just never been my cup of tea. Hmm. Okay. Um, tell me about your feelings overall with, God blobs four. Well, I would say overall, I was really disappointed that there was no single player. Mm-hmm. I am one of the seven people. Uh, me too. I, man. There, there are more people, but me that too. enjoys a single player campaign. I think there are three of the no, seven in one show. How, what are the odds? <laughs> nobody really does call of duty campaigns. I mean, very few multiplayer shooters in general come out per year and very few do like that type of campaign. A lot of them like try and hide the concept of a campaign behind like, Oh, here's a bunch of multiplayer maps that you run through in one direction. And we, there's no story and it's just default bad guys. Like call of duty tries to tell an interesting story. It tries to like give you like that kind of Michael Bay action flair. And they said, Nope, we're not doing that. And come to find out the reason they're not doing that is most likely because they were dedicating a lot of work towards making a battle Royale mode, which I think is the, you know, the premier reason that most people are playing black ops for right now. And I think it's really well done. And, and I would say overall it's the best part of it and the multiplayer like zombies is not for me, but I think it's really well done. The multiplayer, I actually am not a big fan of. Hmm. And you haven't been, or you aren't in this Uh, particular iteration. I liked 
I liked a lot of where they were going uh, when they kind of did like the um, infinite warfare stuff with the boost jumping and, and kind of the wall running and stuff. I actually enjoyed that. But then we got to last year's world War two and they said boots on the ground, this and that. But in between there was black ops three, which did the whole specialist concept, which I wasn't a big fan of. And here it is back again. So it mm. kind of was like, well, it, it's I guess they're a victim of the whole fact that three different developers are working on three different projects at at almost basically the same time. So they can't really like be informed by the success of what comes before and what, yeah. what does and doesn't work. So it kind of seemed like they just moved on and were like, we're going to stick with this because this like overwatchy concept of like, oh, you know, you have a super ability and this and that um, is popular right now. But I, I, I never really enjoyed it. I kind of liked what World War Two did and kind of stripped it all away and made it a little more, you know, truly boots on the ground. Like, yeah, just you you have straight on skirmishes. The The game still has a lot of quote unquote nonsense going on. That I, I've never been too big a fan of. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about Blackout because that I would love to know the numbers of the, of the amount of people are in Blackout compared to the multiplayer because I wonder if it's just siphoned everyone out of there. Um, but let's talk about Blackout. It's getting all the attention. Of course, Battle Royale owns the world right now. Yes. And I, I, I'm not as somebody that plays a lot of Battle Royale. Obviously, if people listen to the show, they know that. I'm a MOBA guy. Uh, but what is it, explain to me, what is it that they do right here? Why is it such, uh, so popular and what have they done that outdoes PUBG, for example? Well, I think, I think that it isn't so much that it, it does things that PUBG didn't have the potential of doing. I think PUBG just was a victim of its own, you know, limitations in terms of scope and team and things like that and an ability to polish, Right. It, it just it, PUBG was just a buggier experience. It didn't have like a, a very good variety of environments. I mean, one of the greatest things about Blackout is if you're a Call of Duty fan, mm-hmm. you can say, "Well, I'm going to land, you know, here. I'm going to land there." And and all those areas, even if you don't realize where you're landing, eventually you'll land there and start to look around and go, "Wait, this is this is a Call of Duty map." You know, I'm in, I'm in firing range. I'm in, you know, here and there. And so, so they just basically like patchwork quilted together maps that they had already made. No, because they have, they still have a different feel to them. Like you can land in Nuketown, but it doesn't really, it's not just only Nuketown. It's not just like, here's, you know, copy and paste Nuketown. It's like, Mm. here's Nuketown. And then here's like the suburban neighborhood attached to Nuketown that has been kind of decimated. Um, and there's like a tunnel system underneath Nuketown. It it just feels like there is more going on with the map than than even Fortnite. Like Fortnite's map is has a lot of you know unique landmarks and and it changes, but it it still feels like it was built from those the assets of the like save the world and like you know we we had this kind of template and we had this engine yeah. and this this map maker, whereas this blackout feels a little more handcrafted hmm. and, the, and very, you know, very few battle Royales that have been popular have offered that. And right. that's on top of like, just no buggy really issues. Like n- nothing that's just kind of been too frustrating for me. Uh, I just think it's, it's really well made. It It's not something that like 
I'm going to play for a long time. I'm not crazy about battle Royales, but it was almost immediate playing it that it was like this, this is a good one. Yeah. Like this is, this is, this is the, this is the counterpoint to Fortnite. This is like the more kind of like fast paced first person shooter battle Royale. So where does this take COD in the future? I mean, do they just, they can't just put out a new boxed version of blackout every year. Can they? Uh, I've, I feel like that's, what's going to happen. Really? Huh. I feel like you're going to get you're going to get um Infinity Wards version is going to have pull from Modern Warfare maps and you're yeah. going to have uh I guess well I guess that the uh Sledgehammer guys don't have as much of a history but yeah I I feel like after this you can't go back. Well, it clearly can't go back, but I feel like you can't even it feels like you can't sunset uh this mode year to year. No, you have no. to it feels like these, all of these different facets of what makes up the Call of Duty universe need to break off and be their own. But game. but why can't you sunset it? Because they do that with multiplayer. You know, they release DLC and, yeah, and right. maps, and then it's like, okay, we've hit the here's the cutoff point. We released everything we said we were going to release, and now. But I, I feel like you're in a different universe of competing with Fortnite, where if I've invested yeah. time and energy in Fortnite that is going to stick with me for as long as I play Fortnite, you know, three, sure. four years from now, if I'm still playing Fortnite and it's still going strong, all of the time I put in is it's going to pay off. Like I understand that the call of duty contract with the player has been different because all of your multiplayer stuff goes away when the new version comes out, but it feels like you're competing with a comp- on a completely different playing field now. Yeah. Well, I, I, I almost feel as though the, the, the competition between Fortnite and Call of Duty is more with the fans, whereas I don't, I don't necessarily think that Activision looks at Fortnite and says like we need to do what they're doing because I think they're confident that every year people are going to want to buy the new Call of Duty. Hmm. Like, I mean, they've almost almost consistently the the games have kind of been trending downward, but still selling the best out of every game that year, not counting like a grand theft auto five years. So it's like, as, as they're kind of saying like, we're confident we're going to sell well. And everybody else is saying, no, you people are done with you. Then the sales numbers are perfectly fine. And it kind of like backs up. So I think we just, we just don't have the perspective on how, how well these games do and how popular they really are. Well, I saw some thing online saying that there was more pre-orders and anticipation for Call of Duty Black Ops 4 than there was for Red Dead Redemption 2, which yes, surprised that me. Is, surprised that me. is, yeah. yeah. I, I, would, I, would, I would bet money that Call of Duty will be the best-selling game of this year. Yeah. Not Red Dead. If it was a Grand Theft Auto 6, it would be Grand Theft Auto 6. But I think Red Dead doesn't have as much cachet as a brand. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, but I wonder if it has more... I don't know. I, that's, I think you're right. I think Grand Theft Auto certainly looms over the Rockstar properties like none other, but um, I just wildly un, under it from the outside looking in and I've never been a big Call of Duty community person. So I, I don't have too much insight there, but it always felt like from the moment this was announced, it felt like a, a me too thing. I can't use it. Oh yeah. But it sure. felt like, you know, I, I'm, I want to do what, what everybody else is doing. It's yeah. not what, you know, so, uh, 
I guess their audience doesn't care because it's like, yeah, yeah. Call of Duty's it, doing it. It, <laughs> it kind of it to me. It was like a, you know, we're we're gonna do it, and we don't care that other people have done it before us. It doesn't matter. We're super popular. Yeah, deal with it. It's and kind it of like you know. Uh, Marvel versus DC movies, you know, DC movies are going to pioneer themselves in different ways, like with having, you know, first female led superhero movie and things like that. And then Marvel's going to say, well, here's Captain Marvel. It's going to do really well. We don't care that you beat us. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, I, I think that that's just their, their confidence is our brand is just fine. And it doesn't matter at what rate we get to the thing. When we get to the thing, ours is going to be plenty popular, maybe not the most popular, but plenty popular. Yeah. Well, it certainly is uh, popular. Probably won't be the last time we talk about it on the show. Uh, but I'm definitely more excited to talk about a thing that's much more my jam. Sure. And that is Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I just keep falling deeper in love with this game. And I never loved the Assassin's Creed games. I mean, I played the first two and then I really just checked out of the franchise for a long, long time. And I, I dipped in here and there when things were interesting. But just never loved Assassin's Creed right from the get-go until Origins last year. And now Odyssey feels like a revelation. I mean, even it, it, it surpasses Odyssey, or excuse me, Origins. It's hard with two O names. It surpasses Origins um, on a, pretty much every level for me. And I, I just think this game is a triumph. I'm tempted to put it higher than some big games this year it is quite something what, what do you what do you feel about it i it's very very well made i think that um i was a big fan of origins i was really really into origins i liked almost everything that it brought to the table and and iterated on for assassin's creed i my only thing with origins versus odyssey is that when i played origins I played Origins kind of afterwards, like after the big onrush of games. And so I had a lot of time. Now I look at all the question marks and the scope of the map of Odyssey. <laughs> and I know that there's a ticking clock called Red Dead Redemption 2. Yeah. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, do I want to see everything in Odyssey? Or, do you know, this, this is kind of like an awful critique, but it's a critique that, you know, fits for me it do i want to see everything that odyssey has to offer or do i want to see everything that red dead has to offer and so i'm kind of letting you know what would be a drive that i have to go fill in all of those question marks in odyssey and i'm kind of letting them go and i'm kind of mm -hmm. focusing on the story and i feel like maybe i'm missing stuff or i'm not getting because in origins i was obsessed with making sure those question marks didn't exist anywhere on the map but yeah. But even so, like the, I think that the focus on more uh, proactive combat with the parry system and not giving you a shield and giving you yeah. the abilities is is really well done. I don't like how chunky the enemies are. It feels like versus Origins, they take a little too many hits. Mm -hmm. It feels like I spend a little too much time, you know, swinging away. Especially like those those big encounters where you kind of like, you know everything's gone wrong and everybody's around you. I felt like I could handle those a little better in, in origins, but yeah. I, I still like, I think the story so far from what I've experienced is I think it's better than origin story. I like the way that it plays around with the concept of, you know, you pick a character yeah, and, then, so cool. and, and that choice and that choice is meaningful. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I like how it ties in. Even if you don't really know history, if you've watched the movie 300, you'll get stuff. <laughs> like it's got some really neat stuff going on that, uh, it's, it's a very, very well made. Like if this had come out instead of origins. Yeah. I, I would have been gobsmacking, right? Yeah. I mean, like, what did they do to Assassin's Creed? Yeah. It's funny. It's almost, it almost uh, feels like a skin of origins, but it's so much more, you know? Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, and I don't think I've ever, I mean, I love open world role-playing games. I really, really do. And this one feels more like a world than almost anything else I've ever played. I can't think of, I mean, aside from like World of Warcraft, this as a single player game most open world games isn't don't ever really feel like a world. They feel like open continent or open area or open, you know, place. And that's great because there's usually a ton of content there. This feels like I'm traversing the world yes. and getting in my boat and going to a new island. And there's tons of stuff on that island. And that island is just a tiny part. It's like a tiny speck on the big giant map. It's, it's an insane level of content but all of it feels fun and interesting. And I'm so rewarded constantly with this game for curiosity, for following my curiosity. Um, you know, there, there was a moment that I, I had the other night. Where I was like, I got to remember this because, you know, I was doing a quest. And so I'm on, I'm on my horse headed to my area. And I, as I'm on my horse, I take my eagle and fly up in the sky or my falcon or whatever it is, uh, my bird. And I fly up in the sky and I just, as I'm riding along, cause you can auto follow the, the road looking around, seeing what's interesting, seeing what's cool. And, uh, Oh, there's a mercenary who's hanging out now mercenaries. I'm a mercenary. Your main character in this game is a mercenary and there are other mercenaries and there's a whole like uh, tier system of mercenaries. Some are way more powerful than you. Some are less powerful than you. Some are exactly as powerful. They, and they all drop really cool gear and there's a reward system for taking them out. And they'll try to take you out if they, if you, you know, get notoriety in an area. So there's always incentive for taking them out. So I spot one and I see that it's comparable level. And I'm like, Oh, well, I'm going to go just, you know, take on this, this mercenary. So I go and I, I get into this awesome battle that's protracted and involves, you know, we're going across up and down hills and he's chasing me and I'm chasing him. And then like creatures get involved, animals in the environment get involved and I, and I hide and I seek sick some animals on him and they sort of procedurally fight each other. And then I take him down and I get his cool loot. And so then I find that I'm far away from where I was headed for the quest. And I just take my Eagle up and I look and see what's going around. And there's a cool cave and I go into that cave and I find cool stuff. And that's just how I've been playing this game is like going from place to place. And it all just unraveling organically in front of me based on my curiosity and what seems neat and what I want to do at any given time. And Oh my gosh, I just found a castle and let's just stealth my way into it and take down all the guys and, uh, you know, loot their treasure and burn their resources to destabilize the country. It's like, there's always something interesting and cool to do around every single corner and doing it is always fun. And there's never a scripted boss fight. It's always improvisational and using all the skills that you've been training by doing all the little things. It's like, it's an exquisitely designed role-playing experience 
on a scale that dwarfs almost anything else with great acting, memorable characters, nothing feels like filler content. I just I'm blown away by this game. Yeah, oh, man. I, I would I would say that the one the one thing that I'm not a big fan of in terms of the open world is a lot of those question marks turn had turn out to just be like an enemy encampment where it's like, oh, kill the captain, loot the chests, and then you're done. I yeah. One of the things I liked about Origins is those question marks tended to like unlock quest givers and things like that. But this mm-hmm. this is a lot more like it feels like they've stamped a lot of extra just like combat encounters around the world. And that's the that's the one thing that kind of like uh is not as exciting to me about exploring is that I want to go to those well, question marks and then I go there and it's like, oh it's a bandit camp. There's seven guys. I need to kill them all. Well, they seem to have relied much more on those um, meeting post uh, yeah, quest yeah, boards, things. Yeah. And oftentimes, yeah, me- those quest boards, you know, I-, I guess that's what they're called, um, where the- they just have like a dozen quests there for the taking. And oftentimes those will lead you into the bandit camps or yeah, that's add true. context or ha- you know, have some some story beat that, that involves those things. So just just stumbling on the bandit camp alone won't achieve it, but finding someone who then sends you there. So I don't know. I, I, I just, yeah, for, for me, it's like when I get into an area and you tell me like, here are, you know, here are nine points of interest. And then I go to one and it's like bandit camp. Okay. What's this next one? Bandit camp. What's this next one? Yeah. I hear you. Bandit camp. It's like, ah, like I, especially with like the way the combat is kind of designed where if you haven't specced a certain way or your gear isn't, where you can't just like go through and and fight everybody. Like I just want to go in there, draw everybody to me, kill them all, and then be done with it. <laughs> and in some cases, that like doesn't work because then nine mercenaries show up, and then I'm in yeah. trouble. So yeah, it's that is that is just one of the things that kind of like nagged at the back of my mind. It was like uh, I I want to see all these question marks, but I'm afraid because it it's too big. There's no not enough fast travel and the distance between stuff is really far. So it's kind of like you're you're yeah. making you're dedicating some time to go in to see what that question mark is all about and when it turns out it's the same thing you just did, not as exciting. But that said, I I, I really do enjoy the game. I just let go of being as as uh, obsessed with clearing out the question marks. I know I'm going to regret saying this. I just can't imagine Red Dead grabbing me more. Like I, I expect no, to be blown away situation. by that game, but don't say. I, this. I, maybe I guess. I mean, I guess the it's what is it? The writing that will be superior in uh, this? Is that what Rockstar well, okay, does better than anybody else? Are you playing? Uh, are you playing this in the exploration mode? Yeah. So you're doing like the you have to hear all the dialogue. Yeah, where they tell okay. me like, well, oh, it's in this general area and it's south of that. Well, that, that is sim- yeah, that's similar to how Red Dead is supposedly gonna work yeah I, yeah i don't know did you did you dedicate as much time to origins i did not okay no i i i, 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 I love i, I liked origins right. a lot but i did not finish it i plan to finish this i i feel like this has hooked me much more you know honestly there's less sand that's fair, <laughs> that's fair. it's, it's like it's a much more beautiful area i mean i've used the photo mode in this game more than i've ever used it in any game because i'm just like this is the most gorgeous thing no 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 no. this is the most gorgeous thing you you come over these vistas and you look down on this gorgeous 
Grecian uh, coastline with ruins and cities and a sunset and ships in the horizon. And it's just like, it's stunning. Yeah, no, stunning. I, I, I agree with you. I think because I kind of like wrung origins dry that the idea of a year later doing that same thing with less fast travel and more like water parts where I have to like find a dock to call my boat. Um, you don't have to find a dock. Just, just stop the, the boat and jump off and swim. Well, yeah, but like, uh, there's like underwater stuff. Uh, there's so much underwater stuff. It's like, what? There's like uh, all of the game above water is insane. And then there's like an entire universe under the water as well. I, I don't know. I guess, I guess my main, my main point is that a, a lot of the game is very familiar to origin. So I, I almost feel yeah. like. You you're Too not soon? you're not as exhausted because you didn't put as much time into Origins, whereas like That's fair. I, I think I yeah. put in so much time that I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this again so soon because I love the game. Like I said, if Odyssey had come out first, I would have done exactly what I did in Origins in Odyssey. I'm just like not ready, especially knowing that. Uh, or assuming that Red Dead is going to offer that same like, oh, I want to see what this is. I want to see what this is. Like, I can't do that yeah. in close proximity twice and not just feel like, <laughs> you know, I've wasted yeah. so many hours of my life. Fair enough. I, I just keep thinking about Red Dead and I'm excited for it. I loved the first one. Uh, I, I just, uh, I don't know what it can bring to the table. Like, I, I feel like just Western stuff isn't as interesting to me as like cool historical sci-fi slash fic, you know, fan- fair, fair enough. so you're saying you hold this game above God of war right now? No, no, I didn't say that. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I think it, I think I might like it more than Spider-Man. Okay. I don't know. That's, that's big words. I, they're both incredible games. Um, and Spider-Man has that's got fair. a special place in my heart simply for the character, but, but, um, and the traverse. I thought, yeah, I thought you were saying like this is the game to beat, and no, Red Dead no, was no. the only contender left. I and... think God of War, God of War, is in a, in a kind of a class all its own at this point. Um, but fair enough. But, uh, yeah. All right, uh, let's uh, let's thank a sponsor. We got to thank Blue Apron. Oh my gosh, Blue Apron! What did I cook? Uh, yesterday is the last time I cooked. What did I? Oh, chicken and uh, this amazing kale salad that was like uh, had spicy. And uh, fry, or, uh, roasted potatoes, incredible. I love Blue Apron. I have subscribed to Blue Apron for years. I continue to subscribe to Blue Apron using my own monies. Uh, it is one of my favorite things in the world. It changed my life, turned me into a person that enjoyed cooking. I think it can do the same for you because it removes the pain points that I found with cooking. I didn't want to try to figure out what to cook. I didn't want to have to shop for the ingredients that alone is such a dream when the ingredients, the fresh ingredients show up at your house. So simple, so pre-portioned, perfect. You don't have any waste. You're not leaving stuff in the fridge because you bought way more of something than you needed. You bought a box of thyme or I don't know. What do people buy? You bought a dozen eggs and you only needed two for your recipe. Um, I guess you can always eat eggs. Bad example. Point is Blue Apron gives you just what you need. You don't have leftover spoilage. It is delicious. These are high-quality, restaurant-quality meals that you can cook. Some in little as 20 minutes. I enjoy it. I've learned to love uh, chopping stuff and preparing things. I've learned to sort of get into this wonderful zen state with cooking. And it's all because of Blue Apron. Very, very honestly, it's because of Blue Apron that I love cooking. Um, And 
there's a whole range of recipes that you can get. You get uh, an option. Uh, you can get quick and easy meals or full culinary cooking experiences. You can uh, you can pick you know your dietary restrictions. They have uh, vegetarian meals. So good. I got I did this uh, crispy chicken with mashed potatoes. Ah, oh, so delicious. There's pastas. I mean, it's amazing. Hey, check out this week's menu. Find out for yourself how good these these meals can be, and then get f- your first three meals for free. Because you listen to the show. If you go to blueapron.com slash DLC, get your first three meal, first three meals for free. That's blueapron.com slash DLC to get your first three meals free. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. All right. So here's something I want to do that's new. Uh, I want to start something that uh, I think could be really, really cool. I would love listeners to the show. If you have a game that you would like to review, send us an email uh, with a short review of a game that you would like to hear us talk about. Maybe we haven't talked about. Maybe we have, but not in the way you would prefer. If you have a review, I'd like to read your review on the show. And it's something we'd like to start doing here on DLC, uh, listener reviews. And the first one uh, was sent in to us by Angel Garcia, and it is a VR game. Angel Garcia sent this to dlcfeedback at gmail.com, which is where you should send your listener reviews. If you'd like to review a game, it doesn't have to be VR. It can be any kind of game, big or small. We'd love to hear uh, maybe a, a hole in our coverage, anything we're not covering enough or uh, the right way. We'd like to hear your opinion on it. Uh, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This is what Angel wrote. He said, uh, hi, DLC. It's 1.50 a.m. And I should have gone to bed about two hours ago, but I just noticed the PS Store had a bunch of PSVR deals. I wandered on down to their deals and saw Werewolves Within for about seven bucks. I'd always been curious to try this game, but was never really convinced it would work well enough for me to purchase it at full price. Before buying it, I checked the current total player count and there were about 20 people playing the game in the entire world. But the forum said all players don't ever have a difficult time finding any games, despite the low player count. Well, that was true. I slid on my VR headset and was immediately placed onto a server with seven other players. The game is totally rad, as Jeff would say. The game sits you down around a campfire in this beautiful Transylvania-esque town with a giant full moon hovering above you and seven other townsfolk sitting around a campfire with you. Everyone is chatting with with each other about anything, about everything, all the while dropping subtle hints about who they might or might not be. To refresh your memory, Werewolf Within is about these townsfolk, each of whom have a different role to fulfill, villager, werewolf, deviant, saint, drifter, etc., who sit around a campfire and have to accuse someone of being a werewolf. Of course, there's no way of knowing who the werewolf really is until all the votes are cast and the answer is revealed. Having just played the game for the first time a couple of minutes ago, I was very new to the whole thing and really didn't know what I was doing. The players managed to trick me into revealing information that perhaps I should not have revealed about myself, etc. Others were more polite and actually helped me through my subsequent playthroughs. The game's mechanics work wonderfully. You can physically lean towards the player next to you, and if they lead towards you as well, begin exchanging secrets amongst yourselves. The rest of the players will see that you two are whispering to each other, but will only hear muffled sounds as you do this. You can physically stand from your chair, and your in-game character will stand up with you, causing the rest of the group to listen 
listen to what you have to say. It's a great experience that truly makes you feel like you're sitting around a campfire in this werewolf-infested Transylvania-esque town chatting in real time with everyone around you. Everyone seems really nice as they casually start including you in the conversation, but watch out! as they might be trying to trick you into letting them know bits of information you probably shouldn't be sharing. I don't know how, but this game works. I know I'm very late into the uh, very late to the game, literally, but I can't recall if you guys ever talked about it at all on the podcast or not. It's really a gem and so sad that there aren't more games like this in VR that I know of. I would love to hear your thoughts about this. Keep up the great work, guys. I love the show and I live every day thinking, think what you put out into the world and make it a better place. Awesome review, Angel. I love that. So I'm hoping more people send in similar reviews about all kinds of different things because I I thought that was such a great insight into a game that I definitely uh, have played and loved as well. Uh, You you put it perfectly. Uh, It is is a blast. If you've ever played One Night Ultimate Werewolf uh, in person, you know how fun it can be. And the transition to VR for this game is just great. Uh, Seeing an avatar, a, a cartoonish silly avatar behave like a real person because it's being mapped <laughs> via the headset and uh, controllers uh, is really, really cool. And um, man, he, it's, he's right. It's a really fun conversation game. It reminds me of playing something like uh, Star Trek bridge crew or other cooperative VR games where really most of the fun is seeing another person uh, in a virtual space and interacting with them. That is truly magical experience and this game takes full effect of it it's uh it's great werewolves within uh, i think it's on psvr it's also on oculus and vive danish uh let's talk about astrobots i've been raving about this game christian raved about it last week what do you think about astrobots rescue mission oh yeah i think it's amazing i think you totally hit the nail on the head this is uh quality wise up there with Nintendo style, you know, Nintendo level quality. Like it's every little bit is so charming and the animations are so polished and so incredible. And it's just a joy to be in that world. Um, The platforming is really inventive and fun. You're always doing new and different things like every 10 seconds. Yeah. I'm having a blast with it. I've played it for a few hours. I'm like halfway through world two right now, but yeah, it's just great. I think that there's this thing that Nintendo does and this game does it too, where it kind of mixes game and toy at the same time. So like you're playing a game and you're, you know, there's rules and there's objectives, but it's also like a toy because you're just playing with it with no goals. You know, like you're just bouncing your guy up and down on the little bungee cord thing, or you're just squirting water around, you know, with the hose. And it's just, it's so fun. And uh, I love seeing like, I just did this beach level. So you're, you're rescuing these little bot guys everywhere and they're kind of like hanging off things or like dangling from things or like, help me. You go to the beach level and the guys are just sunbathing. Like they don't, they don't even want to be rescued in the beach. Level. I mean, that's so brilliant. And that's like yeah. a, a perfect encapsulation of like kind of the humor and, and just joy of playing this game. Yeah, I love it. I agree, man. Every level, it's like a brand new idea done in a really clever way. And it, it feels like every time you unlock a new level, it's like, what, is, what magical thing are they going to introduce to me now? And I know that that experience was is often in nintendo games mario odyssey is a great example of like oh i got a new level what new wonderful thing are we going to do here and that this game captures that but it does it in in this stylish vr mode where you are inside it and the the cleverness of how they present it to you is all about putting you inside that thing and 
and and you know putting it all around you it's uh it's so smart so fun so charming so positive it's i mean it's a home run and it is unfortunately not being talked about enough with all of these other huge games coming out right now and I think this game is is a serious game of the year candidate, but it won't be talked about in that context by anybody except probably me. No, I totally uh, agree. This this will be in my top five, probably. Yeah, yeah, it's that good. It really is. And uh, the boss fights are fun and interesting, and uh, it's it, the scale of that is really cool. I love it. Astrobot's rescue mission. More people should be playing it. Uh, I'll put it this way: um, it so Lucky's Tale is obviously a pretty you know apt comparison and. If Lucky's Tale was Mario 64, then Astrobots is Mario Galaxy. Like it takes everything yeah. and just makes it, you know, doubles down and makes it better, bigger. It's it's awesome. Yeah, and more like outside the box thinking. Yeah. It's like Mario Galaxy was like, "Whoa, I, how did they even think of this?" And that's how I feel about Astrobots Rescue Mission. Yeah. It's like All right, uh we've teased this enough. I'm excited for the next part of the show where we get to do a little tabletop time. Right now, right now. All right, Danish, I'm so excited to have you here because uh, you are a fellow lover of tabletop games, board games. And not only that, you are going to be, you have made several, right? And one is going to be published. I don't know how much we can talk about that. Yeah, I, I can. I can talk about my experience kind of making it and going through the process. I, I don't want to give details of what the game is yet, but I think we can talk about the process and I think that'll be pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah I, you know, I've been making kind of games my whole life ever, ever since I was a kid, you know, I would make doom levels in uh, you know, D hacked like the wad editors and stuff like that. And I would make flash games before flash existed. It was a program <laughs> called macromedia action that became flash. Oh, and so, uh, wow. yeah, I, I used to make flash games. So, you know, because of like video games and things, my attention was kind of diverted in that way. And, and only in the last, you know, five or 10 years, uh, actually introduced, uh, kind of inspired by you and your recommendation, love of board games back on TRS. That's what really got me into board games, like hardcore. And, wow. and that sort of game design mind that I've always kind of had now turned its focus to board games. And I started kind of thinking of fun little ideas and stuff like that. So that's kind of where it all started. Okay, so yeah, so so you started tinkering with things, and and I mean, long way from. I mean, there's a, I think there's a an adage in the board game community that that every board gamer has like a secret board game that they always want to make, but very few people actually do. Exactly, uh, and and you have you not only have uh, you, you know made several prototypes, but uh, you actually went to the to the uh, extra effort of trying to sell that prototype. Right. right. And that's, that's something that I never even intended or like considered on the outset. Like it was really just making them to make them. It was really fun. And so, you know, at the studio uh, about twice a year, we would have these game days where people would kind of play games all day. It'd be sort of like a team building exercise. We also get a chance for us to play new games or introduce games to each other and kind of foster ideas and things. And so that includes board games. And so uh, I would bring in some of my prototypes to these things just for fun, just to see what people thought of them and, and they would like them and, you know, some were more successful than others and stuff, but there was one game that the most recent one that happened, you know, earlier this year where it was different 
is like this was something something was happening here people were really loving this game and hmm. i was like okay this is cool this is really fun so i'll i started tweaking on it and play test after play test after play test and people would constantly come back and be eager to play this again which i think was is a great sign and again at this whole time like i never really thought i would do anything with it like the only avenue that i had in my mind was maybe kickstarter just because I've seen Kickstarter games and like, yeah, maybe. So I would kind of like look into it a little bit, but I didn't, you know, I didn't really know what I would, that would entail. Um, going to a publisher was never a consideration just because I was so ignorant of that process. I didn't know how to even do it. And so, yeah, I would just go along and kind of iterate on this game and make it cleaner and better and uh, simpler and stuff like that. Finally, it's at a stage where it's like, this thing is pretty, pretty much done. Like now what am I, and people would ask me the whole time, like, well, what are you going to do with this? Are you going to sell it or whatever? And I was like, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I haven't really thought that far ahead. Um, one of my coworkers um, told me that uh, he, he knows people that kind of have, have uh, published games before. And he said to me, look, I've seen people sell games to publishers that are less developed than this. And, and that really like opened my eyes. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> crap. Well, what do I do now? And so, um, yeah, I started, uh, kind of looking online and submission forms for publishers. So if you go to a publisher's website, they'll usually have a submission form where you can submit ideas. And so I started, you know, filling those out. Um, I would kind of think of games that this was similar to and look up their publishers, like what games, you know, different publishers have done and, try to find good fits for it. And then I'd start emailing them and, and, you know, kind of uh, pitching my idea. I put together, so I didn't even know what a sell sheet was. I, I looked up online and like, okay, this is what you need to do to pitch a game. You have to make a sell sheet, which is kind of like a one page flyer of your game where you show the theme and the concept and maybe really brief explanation and stuff. So I, I did that. And then I thought, well, I'll do a little playthrough. And so I put a camera up and I started like talking to it and kind of laying the cards out. But uh, my camera was really crappy, and so it looked awful. So I was like, okay, well, let me just animate it. <laughs> That's one thing I know how to do. Let me just animate it. So I did like, like a little you know, six-minute animated rules explanation thing. And so along with that YouTube video and the, the sell sheet, I would start you know, emailing and uh, filling out submission forms to publishers. I even at one point went to a local game store and just took pictures of the shelves and came back home and wrote down every publisher I saw on every game that I saw and then just made this master, you know, Excel spreadsheet of publishers. I'd fill out what their submission guidelines are and what games do they do and what kind of games and is it a good fit or not? And then I would just say, okay, and send it out and, you know, put a little check mark and go down the list. And that's kind of what I was doing. And this was um, a few months before Gen Con, the um, big board game convention in Indianapolis. And so my emails would always be like, Here's a submission. I, I went through your proper channels, but I'm also emailing you here because I was just hoping if you had time to meet up at Gen Con, I could. I would love to show you this game in person. And so uh, that's kind of how it was. And I started getting replies back. Um, actually, it, crazy. I uh, I got the first reply back like that night when I sent it out, and it, it was actually a very nice, encouraging letter. It was a rejection letter, but it was like. So wonderful. It was like, hey, this game is not for us, but we think this is a really cool idea and, you know, best of luck. And just that idea of like, hey, someone's actually looking at this. This is really cool. Mm -hmm. Like that was huge for me. And it was yeah. really encouraging. So I kept at it and I got, you know, more and more rejection letters. And but again, all of them were really encouraging. So a few weeks went by like that. And then finally I got a hit and I said and it was a very sort of like minimally worded 
email saying, uh, I'm intrigued by your game. Let's set up a meeting. <laughs> and then I was like, that was it. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. So yeah, I um, I filled out a form. We kind of set up a you know schedule and time and date to meet and stuff. And I was already going to go to Gen Con, but this is perfect. I was like, okay, great. I have one meeting. Now I'm going to spend the rest of the time just walking up to tables, up to publisher booths and just handing them the sell sheet and seeing if I could get more meetings or, and I have to, I have to really like underline, I had no idea what I was doing. Like this is a totally <laughs> flying by the seat of my pants. Just I have no, yeah, it was. But you, but you did your due diligence. Like you knew, you knew enough to sort of be prepared and think through the process and have the materials that you need. You weren't, I mean, you say seat of the pants, but you weren't, just going in with some hope and a dream, yeah, right? Exactly. You actually, you really did the work. And that I think is a wonderful lesson, very inspiring part of, of your story. Yeah. I mean, that, that's true. Like I think basically because I didn't know uh, what I was doing, I, I basically overcompensated by trying to be as prepared as possible. Uh, when you make a prototype, there's, you know, a certain level of quality that you expect. And I went totally overboard and I, I made like my prototype, like extremely, you know, high quality. I did things like sort of professionally sent out and printed and stuff like that. I spent, you know, all night, you know, cutting things out and making a box with like foam inserts and making it look really like professional and, and real because I, I just wanted no, nothing to be sort of like uh, undone. I, I wanted to have an answer to every question. I wanted to be prepared because I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't really know anything. So, so yeah, I went there and I started to uh, hand out the flyers and, and, take, you know, uh, try to pitch the game. I went to, you know, uh, dozens of booths and, um, the answers were one of a few things either, uh, sorry, all of our, um, you know, slots are filled up. We can't really meet you, but we'll take your sell sheet and we'll pass it on. Or it was, uh, yeah, we have uh, five minutes right now. Why don't you give us a quick demo? Or it was, uh, yeah, let's, maybe we can squeeze you in maybe Saturday or Sunday, uh, you know, email us or come back and we'll, we'll try to fit you in. So that's kind of what happened. And I went through and did the one pre-scheduled meeting and a few others I managed to get on the spot. And uh, yeah, it, it, the first meeting went insanely well, like better than I ever could have possibly imagined. Better than anybody would imagine. No, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you had the dream scenario, right? Yeah. It, he, uh, yeah, he just absolutely loved it. He was like <laughs> hanging on every word and, you know, halfway through the meeting, he's like, I just, he exclaimed out, I love this. <laughs> just <laughs> and, like, just doesn't, doesn't happen in any medium, right? Nobody, no. <laughs> the first meeting you take with somebody and they're like, yes, that's someone you dream of. Yeah, I know. And uh, <laughs> it, so it was the first meeting on the first day. And I had it early so that I could get out of the way. So I didn't fret about it the whole time. And he's like, I'm assuming you have a lot of meetings for this setup. And I was like, oh, yeah, for sure. And which I totally didn't. And he's like, well, we don't want to wait on this. Um, you know, so we'll let you know as soon as possible. And um, so I ended up getting an email like four hours later. I was having dinner with friends. Uh, and I, in the middle of the meeting, I get the email saying like, we love it. We want to, op- you know, we want to option it. And uh, yeah, it was it was crazy. So. Yeah, that was the whole thing. So now, you know, I'm that that process is going uh, ongoing and uh hopefully uh yeah, so we'll we'll see it pretty soon. Well, I, I should say that uh Dennis and I, I have talked about this before and I asked him to to 
you know, relate this story because I just found it so inspiring and incredible. And, uh, I mean, I think, as I said, it is a testament to how much work you put in, how prepared you were, how ready you were. I mean, you, you didn't talk about the fact that you, you know, you rehearsed what you were going to say. Oh, and, absolutely. And, and yeah, exactly. Yeah. Practiced and thought about it. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah so uh, I, I live in Chicago. I was driving. It was like a three hour drive, three and a half hour drive to Indianapolis. And yeah, the whole time I, I was, of course, I was like, you know, super nervous and, just over and over and over in my head, just the pitch, like, well, the right words to say, the right opening line and this and that. And then even like, I didn't get my badge to the show ahead of time in the mail. So I had to be in, I had to go to like the will call line, which was uh, like two hours long. I was like around the whole line was around the block and everything. So yeah. waiting, waiting in line more, more time, just like rehearsing, rehearsing, rehearsing. And um, yeah. And then uh, I got to it where I didn't have to think about it and I felt comfortable saying it, you know, so yeah, that was huge. I think of all things though, the one thing that I think if I had to look back on it was the most crucial was the constant play testing that I did. Yeah. I did it pretty much nonstop from February till July. And it was, you know, two, three times a week, uh, different, same players, different players. And I, I literally could not have done it without that, without them. Cause um, it, it exposes every single problem. And the other thing in terms of like advice I would give to any sort of aspiring you know, artist is you, and this, this goes to my, you know, day job and to any kind of creative field is you have to develop a knack to look at something as if you didn't make it and you have mm -hmm. to be objective and you have to see it for what it is. And you have to, you know, try to be honest with yourself about what works and what doesn't work. And the one thing about uh, playtesting a board game is uh, one one piece of advice someone told me, which I they didn't even need to tell me because it was so it, I, I learned it firsthand, is that after the playtest is over, people will tell you what they think of it, and you almost never it does it almost never matters what they say because you, what you observe them doing in the game is all you need to know. And so, uh, interesting, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, you can you can just feel it when it grinds to a halt and, and it's just like, Oh my God. And, and no one else is probably even like picking up on, on that stuff, but like, yeah. It, so that's, so I, I can imagine it might be very difficult uh, to sort of let your game speak for itself and not continue to jump in and help, you know, when people are having a hard time in a play test. Yeah. Well, it depends. So early on. Um, so there's two kinds of play tests. There's like the, the play tests of the game, which, stress tests the systems and then there's a play test that's like a blind play test of like basically how how good is your rule book or how good is it to be like understood just by anybody you know um i didn't do too much of the of the latter most of it was just like if someone had a problem i would just jump in and say here's the problem here's what you're supposed to do and then i would make a note of it because i would then yeah. next time i would do it in a way or explain it in a way where that issue didn't come up. And so that's the kind of way I was doing it. Um, and I would try out different, I'd, I'd have a problem and then I'd try out different solutions to that problem. And one of them wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't work. And then I would try different solutions. So yeah, eventually it just gets whittled down. And so by the end, when I was pitching, um, they would ask me questions and I'd already gone through that problem like a million times. Like I would say, oh yeah, that's, that's because of this, or that's easily solved because of that. And this explains that. You know, so it was, it was, really helpful to having gone through that process to pitch it. Yeah. 
it, it reminds me of that old saying when people say, you know, luck is uh, when preparedness meets opportunity. That's you know, exactly it feels right. like you could even say, oh, it's such a so lucky, you know, first meeting, you know, the, the guy went crazy. It's like, well, it it may appear as luck, but it it when you hear the whole story, you see how much work you put in, how much care you took to get it right, how confident you were with your idea and and you did all your due diligence in being ready for that opportunity to knock. You walked into that room, that opportunity was right. And you were exactly in the right position to make the best impression that you could have. And, uh, I don't know. I, I was so inspired by that. I just felt so, uh, you know, just so happy for you. And so, Thanks, um, you know, I think it's such a cool story and I'm, I'm glad you were able to share it here on the show. And, you know, I can't wait for your game to come out. I'm really excited. I've had the chance to play a, a prototype copy myself and I loved it. So, I'm excited for the game to actually be released and have you, we'll have to have you come back. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, totally. I would love to come back and and walk you through. We can eat. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And again, we can't really talk about exactly what the game is going to be, but you'll, you'll hear me talk about it when the time comes to be be sure of that. Also, uh, Dennis, you've played a ton of board games. We're kind of going long, so I don't want to go into it, but we'll have to have you back and talk about, uh, a lot of the games you've been playing. Is there one maybe you want to? Yeah. The, uh, so the mention? the one that's pretty, well, oh man, I really, there's two that I want. I'll try to make it quick. The one that's coming out soon, it's actually just came out, but it's like sold out everywhere. And it's really hot Gen Con game is called The Mind. And it's it's mm-hmm. a really weird premise. Have you heard of this game? I have. Yeah. 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 It sounds awesome. So it's a game where you split up a deck. Num- the cards are numbered one to 80, I think. And you, you deal out one card per person on the first round. Round two, you deal out two cards. Round three, three cards, etc. The object of the game is to silently look at each other and then without saying anything or even motioning, flip over the cards from lowest to highest. And that, And yeah. that's the whole game. It's like a, there's an old improv game where you try to do that out loud where everybody closes their eyes and you one person says one and then somebody tries to say two, three, four, up to ten without anybody talking at the same time. So you're supposed to sort of just feel the vibe of when it's your turn to speak. Uh, and this is sort of that as a card game, right? Yeah, and it's it's funny because when you hear the premise, you're like, well, how does that work or how is that even fun and how can you even do that? It sounds impossible. And when you play it, it's – it's really amazing. And it's, I don't know how it, I don't even know how it even works. It's just basically comes down to like staring at each other and it's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. It almost feels like a game you wouldn't need to buy. You just write numbers on a piece I know. of paper. Well, there, there, there's a little bit more to it. There's like lives and different things you can do, but, but it, mm. you're right. You could totally just do it, but it's such a cool concept that I, it's like, I want to support these guys. So I, I, you know, sure, sure, it's so good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what's so the other one? one real quick? I won't go into it. It's called drop mix. It came out last year. Um, Basically, I, I first saw this. There was a, a Kotaku article with Jeff Fahey or Mike Fahey um, reviewing it, and it's like awesome. It's this music rhythm game or music like DJ game where you're like mixing different tracks and stuff. You put cards down that are like the the bass and drums and vocals and stuff, and you can mix and match different songs. And it's just it's so fun. Just look up a YouTube video of it, and that's all you need to see. It's so good. I think it had a, like kind of a rocky launch. People weren't really talking about it, but it's so much fun. It's it started out as like a hundred dollars, which is a little expensive, but that's why it had a rocket exactly. launch. To be honest, no, I think it was totally. Just too expensive. And yeah. but keep your eye on it on Amazon. It every few months it drops down to fifty bucks, which is hundred percent worth it. That's how much I paid for yeah. it. So uh, yeah, keep your eye on that drop mix. It's awesome. 
Yeah, I played it a couple of E3s ago and was completely floored by it. It, it literally is just a card, but there's this wizardry technology where uh, it, it's all like famous songs, but they're broken apart. And you can just kind of, as you're playing the game, you create a mix of all of these famous songs based on just playing cards down on this cool little surface, a uh, little, uh, you know, technological surface that they have. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, it's, and you come out on the other side of it and you've got this crazy song and you also played a game and somebody won or whatever. It's, um, it's crazy. And, and you can like record the song on, it has an app where you can like save the song you made because half the time you're not even listening to the song because you're playing the game so hard. It's, it's pretty neat. Yeah. Again, that's called drop mix. And one's called the mind and uh, that is tabletop time. We do need to thank our last sponsor, which is Cashfly. Uh, calling all game developers, publishers, and e-game experts. E-game? E-game. Okay. Uh, are you taking advantage of a content delivery network to supercharge your game's experience? Whether you're looking to grow your current player base or launch a new game, trust Cashfly's global AnyCast network to provide the performance you need without sacrificing security. Get the benefits of a global content delivery infrastructure without having to worry about server crashes and download failures. Since 2009, Cashfly's solid 100% uptime SLA allows our listeners to tune in to our shows every week fast and easy. Give your players the same great experience. Don't lose players to slow game downloads. Cashfly guarantees the quickest data transfer possible for all your players, regardless of location or internet speed. With instant scaling, players don't experience lags or glitches when your game's traffic surges. Turn casual players into loyal fans with fast game downloads and a seamless gaming experience from New York City to Hong Kong with Cashfly. Having a content delivery network supercharge your game doesn't have to be expensive. Your traffic changes throughout the year, but your CDN build doesn't have to. Effortlessly scale as your game grows without worrying about high CDN bills with constant, no, excuse me, with custom pricing plans from Cashfly. Uh, receive a free custom CDN plan tailored to your game's delivery needs. Offer ends September 31st. Learn more at dlc.cashfly.com. That's dlc.cachefly.com. We do have our parting gift coming up, so stick around for that. But Danish Syed, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, man. This is this has been really really fun. Uh, I loved having you, and it's been too long in coming, and uh, we'll have to have you back soon. Uh, tell people where they can keep up with you on the internet. Um, you could just uh, follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's at underscore Danish Syed. That's D A A N I S H S Y E D. Anthony Taormina, thank you so much for being here too. I I always appreciate you hanging out. Talking games? Absolutely. If you're hearing my voice, something went wrong with the podcast guests. <laughs> Tends to be the case. Tends to be the case. No, that's not true. Well, you are one of our favorites out of town. No, I'm just kidding. You are one of our, you're my go-to. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's but. not true. I, you're welcome anytime. You know that. I'm just, I'm just, it's a joke. It's a good joke. Yeah. Okay. All right. Where can people follow you and your work online? Uh, I'm editor in chief at GameRant.com, so uh, I, I write a bunch of stuff about various games, uh, a lot of Destiny, as most people know. Um, and I'm going to be reviewing Red Dead, uh, hopefully, if I can get my hands on it sooner rather than later. I don't want the crunch. Um, so yeah, look out for stuff like that. But then you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's at Aunt Tormina, which is spelled A N T A O R M I N A. Awesome. And you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I also do the Slash Filmcast, which you can listen to 
at slashfilmcast.com, talking about movies and TV shows. Love for you to check that out. All right, let's uh, finish the show up now with our parting gift. Danish, do you have something to help people get through their week? Yeah, with the Halloween coming up, I what could be better than an awesome horror movie? There's a movie called Ghost Stories that's out to rent on VOD now. It's really fun. Um, three, it's like a horror anthology. Three stories. It's it's scary, but like a fun scary, not a scar you forever scary like Hereditary or something like that. But yeah, it's great. <laughs> Highly recommend it. Um, another one, quick one, is um, the Chris Gethard show. The episode called One Man's Trash. Now. I can go on about this. I'll keep it short. But basically, the Chris Gethard show is like a real life Wayne's World. It's like a it was a live UCB show that became a public access show that became a cable TV show. One Man's Trash is an episode that's one of the funniest, mind blowing episodes of TV I've ever seen. It's famous among comedians. I've heard comedians talk about this episode before I even saw it. Basically, they wheel a dumpster onto the stage, and the whole show is trying to guess what's in that dumpster. And the co-hosts are Jason Manzukis and Paul Shear. And so you can, and obviously those guys are just hysterical. And where the show goes, what happens, the twists, the turns, the many levels, you will not be prepared for this episode. It's amazing. Oh my gosh. So you can find it on YouTube. Just Google Chris Gethard's show, One Man's Trash. And it's about 40 minutes long. Easy watch. Do not read the comments because they do spoil what happens. I'm not going to tell you mm-hmm. anything. So just watch it. It's awesome. I'm hooked. I got to check this out. Uh, One Man's Trash on YouTube. Also, the uh, the movie he mentioned was uh, Ghost Stories on VOD. Anthony, what about you? You got a you got a parting gift? I do. Uh, I I don't know. You'll probably talk about it on Slash Filmcast, but I, I want to give a shout out to First Man. Uh, mm, yes, we are reviewing it this week. It's uh, if you ever wanted to be an astronaut as a little kid, watch this movie, and you'll have a new perspective. <laughs> you won't want you to I never want to be an astronaut but it's, it is I would say some of the movie isn't you know not great but the space stuff is incredible or just I guess just the the uh, development of that technology and the way it's shot it's 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 terrifying but it, it makes you have an appreciation that I don't think you ever would have had uh, because you just you couldn't get the perspective uh filming yeah. filming back then and and this seems to me at least as close to like what it must have felt like the sounds the the just seeing the rivets and stuff it's it's terrifying but so well done the sound did you have a chance to see it in imax i did not know oh dude if, if you're listening to this and you have an opportunity to see it in imax take that opportunity because uh, there are scenes shot in imax and i think one of the if you've ever seen a movie that's shot partially in IMAX, there'll be transitions into IMAX, and sometimes those are cool and sometimes they're not. This movie does the transition into IMAX in the best way I have ever seen a movie do it. It is the coolest thing I've ever seen uh, with regard to that. And, uh, yeah, so definitely if you're going to see First Man, see it in IMAX. if You can possibly swing it. Very, very cool. Uh, we got a listener-suggested parting gift. Uh, this one comes from Philip. He sent it to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. He said, one of my favorite parts of DLC is the fact that you express interests outside of just video games, and I wanted to put my hat in the ring with a parting gift of my own. Go see your local symphony. 
Most cities have a resident symphony orchestra, and most orchestra seasons are just getting going at this time of year. Depending on where you live, these orchestras put on a huge variety of programs, from full-on classical concerts, often performing music that has inspired your favorite video game soundtracks, to movie concerts where the orchestra plays the soundtrack live with a film. It makes for a great date night, a night out with friends and family, or just an opportunity to get away from it all and lose uh, and get lost in the awesome sound of a full orchestra. Hope you consider this idea and keep up the great work. That's an awesome idea, Philip. I used to work at a, um, the LA Philharmonic and I used to see the LA Philharmonic all the time. And he's right. It is, uh, it's really cool. It's different than you would expect. If you've never seen live orchestra, it is not like hearing a recording of an orchestra. It is quite a visceral experience. So, uh, yeah, I second that, and it's a great suggestion. Same here. Actually, just a quick note, Game of Thrones Live is touring right now. So if Ooh. that sounds cool to you, look it up, and uh, you can see that be performed. It's supposed to be pretty cool. Game on, game on. Yeah, anyway. Um, my parting gift uh, is, is considerably more expensive. Uh, I have uh, – I thought I thought I was living the be- my best PC gamer life. I've been – a lifelong PC gamer. Uh, I play consoles, obviously, but I, in my heart, I'm a PC gamer. And I like, uh, as I said, when we were talking about streaming, I like pushing pixels. I like having a powerful PC. And uh, I thought I was living my best PC gaming life. That is until a, a friend persuaded me to consider getting an ultra wide monitor. Dennis, you and I have already talked about this on uh, Twitter. Uh, I have lived the 21.9 life now. That's the aspect ratio of ultra-wide monitors. And I am, I have seen the light. I have been converted. It is, there's nothing like it. It is so jaw-dropping. Uh, it, they are not cheap. The one I got was uh, Alienware uh, AW318DW. Uh, I, I did a lot of comparison shopping um, and ended up going with the Alienware. I was not disappointed. It is... Amazing as 120 hertz uh, hertz uh, refresh rate and G-Sync, and uh, oh my goodness, it ultra wide envelops you into a game, and so many games support the aspect ratio. I mean, World of Warcraft in ultra wide is incredible. Destiny Two is incredible. Uh, I was even playing uh, Call of Duty in ultra wide. I am. I, I can't go back. Uh, and I know Dennis, you had said something similar. You have one at work, right? Exactly. I got it one at work a couple like a month ago, and. It just made me mad that I don't have one at home now. Like I, yeah. I it made me more mad than actually yeah. enjoying it at work. It was, <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. It's it's quite something. So uh, that's my parting gift. If you can swing it, uh, consider it because uh, it is it's the closest thing to VR without being in VR. I mean, it it just envelops your vision and and puts you in the game like nothing else. Very cool. Uh, all right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to uh, Danish Syed and uh, Anthony Tarmina for hanging out with me. Thanks again to all of our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making those bumpers that you hear between uh, between the segments. And thanks to our um, our live audience here on the streaming services. We appreciate you guys hanging out with us in real time, making the show better. And most of all, thanks to all of you that download the show. We appreciate it. We will be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.